0: Well, good morning. Uh, Rob, my son-in-law, I might add, could you, where we changed keys on that last song, just before the final chorus, the last verse, and you might find your way back there, because really this is where we're headed this morning. Uh, The the word grace appeared, Uh, there it is. Grace is overflowing from the Savior's heart, rest here in his wondrous peace. If you get nothing more out of this morning than that, it'll be a good morning for you. Uh, As I was just worshiping uh, the Lord along with you all, uh, there were 10 words that that came to me uh, that are helping my heart. Uh, Seven of them are, all my life you have been faithful. Right, so, when you're my age, all my life means more than when you're 25, right? Uh, Also, the other three were from Laura, which was broken and rebuilt. It kind of came in the middle of a sentence early on as she was talking about the wall behind us. And I think those 10 words converge in a beautiful way, certainly in my life uh, and yours as well, that God continually works on us and chips away at us, and helps us and turns us into a beautiful wall that she talked about and is from 1 Peter. So just before I launch into our sermon, uh, these words from Psalm 71 are, are my words. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, and even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty acts to all who are to come so may that happen this morning as we uh, listen together to god's word well this church is called grace i love the 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 actual name we have i mean there's so many names cropping up these days and many of them are interesting uh and compelling but i don't know grace is just a great name for a church because really What do we do without God's grace? We're lost. So I'm preaching this morning from a passage uh, that is embedded in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, out of um, his fullness. Well, I just want to say one other thing, and that has to do with uh, John 1.16. I think that what we're experiencing, experiencing as a church is out of his fullness we have all received grace and this translation says, grace, in place of grace already given. So even this morning, God is pouring more grace onto us as we worship together. But as we think about our name and as the passage this morning expresses in 2 Corinthians 8 9, you, have, you know the love of, uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know, Paul's saying, you know that. And I think that's true for us here this morning. We know the grace of God. And then he expands on that, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And that verse is going to sort of lead us through this morning as we think about God's grace. Well, what do we know about grace? We know, uh, I think the first definition that comes to mind is that it's undeserved favor. And indeed it is. Our God seems to have an attribute or a characteristic uh, in him that he loves to produce free gifts uh, for guilty sinners. And that's us. And we can't earn it. We know that. There's no merit involved. It's all of Christ. Now, it's interesting that Paul, when he talks about the word grace, of course he acknowledges that we just said here, that it's a wonderful character trait of God, that that Paul explores some disposition that, that God has or an inclination to treat people better than we deserve. Amen. But Paul seems to expand the word grace... Uh, to also mean to refer to his action and his power and his influence and, and even force that produces real uh, real practical outcomes in our lives. Uh, like like learning to trust, or to be patient, which I'm still, as you are, working on. Or to endure the thorns of the flesh, which many of us can relate to, or never growing weary in doing good, uh, or loving the unlovable, or or even our enemies. And, and grace that comes from God is, is all-encompassing. It applies to every situation. It never wears out. It's, it, it's tireless. It's relentless. And, and, and thank, thanks to this um, down-to-earth grace that we have that continually overflows in our life in powerful, practical ways, uh, we face many, many moments uh, where we need it the most. And many of you can just think back through this week, and sometimes you don't acknowledge it as God's grace. It could be a phone conversation, but God's grace is in that moment. And then uh, because we know this grace, we, we experience it, we have the privilege, the responsibility even then to allow that grace to flow through us uh, into real life situations where grace is needed most. And, and it's God's grace that overflows to bless through us others. And Thanksgiving then, uh, and this is the beauty, and Paul's gonna explore this, it just starts to grow. There's a crop, a harvest, as it were, of Thanksgiving uh, everywhere, as we are living out our thankfulness in this world. This grace that Paul says we know that is, is working powerfully in us, we're, we're not supposed to keep it. Uh, it's intended to be passed on in, in the context of this verse Paul is suggesting exactly how that's supposed to take place. So we're going to uh, think about uh, our Christ in his ability to be our gracious example, Christ as our continual resource, and then Christ as an indescribable gift, which is the verse in uh, chapter 9, verse 15, where Paul explodes in beautiful worship. Those three, gracious example of Christ, he's our continual resource, and He's an indescribable gift. Well, what way is Christ our example? Well, in every way, he's our example. But, but self-sacrifice in this particular passage we're looking at this morning, in particularly verse uh, nine of chapter eight, is, is emphasized here. His self-sacrifice, his selflessness uh, becomes a motivation then for us to follow him uh, as our inspiration. Now, Paul was fundraising uh, in this verse, and maybe even some of you are squirming, thinking this is going to be a stewardship sermon, which, which it's not, really. Although, if the if the Holy Spirit convicts you in that way, you go for it, and you can even text in some money while we're preaching here. That's just fine. Uh, but uh, Paul is concerned that the, the Corinth church, church, which had dedicated itself to give a certain amount of money uh, from the church in Corinth, uh, they they just lapsed on their commitment. They, they'd fallen behind, they, they had their own issues in Corinth at the time, they, they were facing their own problems, not as severe as Jerusalem, but the Macedonian churches were outshining them, and Paul points that out earlier in the passage. And then Paul uh, uses this uh, verse, uh, for you know the grace of God, to, to continue to prod them and give them an example of how our Lord is an example for us. So let's talk about how Christ was our example. First, though he was rich. Well, it's fun to think about how rich our Lord was. There are many ways we can consider it, but I think I I just have time to think about his honor. So, remember how uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 of of Isaiah, he got a glimpse of of this scene in heavens where the Lord is high and exalted, and he's seated on a throne, and there's a, a robe that... The train of it just seems to just go everywhere. And there's seraphim with six wings and two of them, they're covering their feet and two of their faces and two they they're flying and they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is overdone, undone by the, by the scene. Recall how Daniel had a similar vision. Uh, he saw thrones set in place as the Ancient of Days took his seat and, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the, the hair of the ancient of days was white like wool, and his throne was flaming with fire, and, and its wheels were all ablaze, and a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands, Daniel says, attended him, and then he says 10,000 times 10,000. In other words, I, I have no idea how many there were. It was numberless. Well, you think of John with, echoing Isaiah, really, In uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, he sees four living creatures. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. There's that hymn again. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And and as they gave glory, John says, and honor and thanks to Jesus on his throne, the 24 elders fell down before him and worshiped him. And laying their crowns before the throne, they said, you are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So this is a, a, a short but quick glimpse of the honor that Jesus had in heaven, and there's so much more that details his richness that we can't even talk about or even necessarily know. But then, what did he do? He took on the very nature of a servant, Philippians says, and made himself in human likeness, and he became poor for our sake. And so this verse For you know the grace of our God, though He was rich, yet He became poor." Well, our first uh, glimpse or hint of the extent to which our Lord would lower Himself was that now-famous little town of Bethlehem, a little-regarded home, the inn that shut Him out, the shed-out back, born in a stall. God is this helpless, weak infant, blue-collar shepherds showing up to be His greeting committee. our Lord went from continuous honor, which we've just expressed to, to being uh, suddenly now on earth in the flesh dependent on Mary's milk, this teenage girl. And his own family ended up calling him crazy, said he was insane. Foxes have holes and, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, Jesus said. And the angels must have looked down on this and looked at this Lord that they had worshipped and were shocked at what Jesus was willing to forego. He was misunderstood. He was threatened. He opposed. He was opposed and scorned and spit upon and reviled and mocked and beaten and even killed. His very best friends betrayed him. Jesus in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood on our behalf, is his... Far a distance, as I could imagine, from the glory Jesus had experienced in heaven as he prayed to the Father, asking that there might be some other way, and the Father's heart breaking as he knew there wasn't another way to bring us to God, to repair what had been broken. And eventually the angelic worship of holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty became angry shouts of the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. So why did Jesus put himself through all of this? It was love, pure and simple and profound. He knew how poor we were, and he resolved to change that and make us rich, no matter the cost, and it did cost him. But here we are, you know the grace of our God, that though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor so that we might become rich. Let's talk about how rich we are. Well, one, we have a savior, amen. And Isaiah gives us a picture of our Lord rolling up his shirt sleeves, I love that, and getting all bloody on our behalf. He asks, who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength, And the answer comes back, it's I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah identifies our Lord Jesus as one who takes what is broken down and resurrects it. He binds up the brokenhearted. He proclaims freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He he, he proclaims the year of our Lord's favor over our lives and comforts all who mourn. He provides for those who grieve, bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of, a, of ashes, and, and, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and, and, and garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And suddenly, profoundly, people see us as oaks of righteousness, that we're God's planting, they see us as, who, who display his splendor. And I might add, this room is filled with such people. Well, how rich are we? We're asking that question. Ray Ortland summed it up this way for us. The wrath of God at our real guilt is warranted. Even required by God to be true to himself. His condemnation does fall, and with full force, but not on us. It falls on our Savior, our substitute. And in his great love for guilty people, Jesus changed places with us at the cross. His sacrifice is the reason why God's grace is morally entitled to treat us like royalty, which he does. If Jesus hears, if Jesus bears our condemnation far away, then all forgiving grace toward us is not an extravagance. It's the morally beautiful meaning of our new relationship with God. Finally, he says, for us to go boldly now into his presence for comfort, to receive mercy and find grace whenever we have a need brings God's own purpose to fulfillment. He wants every one of us to be able to say to him, you comfort me. And if we will discover what that means for us now, we will be saying it forever. Second Corinthians 5.21 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it says it very simply, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how rich we are. We're reconciled to God. We're his friends, not his enemies. He calls us his children, his sons, his daughters. We're his family. Take a look around this room. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get used to these faces because you're going to see them for eternity. Well, let's sing, shall we? We need to
1: sing. Give thanks to the God we serve. Give thanks that we he deserve. Give much more than we could ever ask or even think. Give thanks for the cross of Christ. Give thanks for the sacrifice He made to save completely those who trust in him and now and now let the weak say i am strong let the poor say i am rich because of what the lord has done for us and now let the blind say i can see god has set the love that's deeper than the say I can see God has set the captives free for love that's deeper than the deepest sea give thanks Amen.
0: Well, Paul takes the rest of chapter 8 and then part of chapter 9 to give some details about how he's going to come and collect that money and he's going to send... uh, Titus and probably Luke, they're going to come, and there's some details to take place, and, and, and he's just kind of walking them through that, and there's, there's an, a very interesting change that takes place starting uh, in verse 6. Something happens. Uh, something grand. It's, it's like the Holy Spirit suddenly gave Paul a second wind, moving the, the motivation beyond a, a single contribution to a single end and to just the glory of what life and grace can look like flowing into and out of our lives to others. And so that takes us into these beautiful verses. We're going to start with uh, just him saying simply, uh, I say this, he who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly, and, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And each man, each person must, must, must do what's... They purpose in their heart to do, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul is, is taking this, at least it seems to me, beyond just monetary gifts, although that's beautiful, uh, and certainly maybe maybe at the front of his thinking. But this seems to me so much bigger where he's headed, and we're going to explore it in terms of the way uh, our, our Lord Jesus becomes our resources as we move into... Uh, being grace givers. Where's Paul going here? Well, he has in mind here this grand vision uh, of what it means to be thankful, that it has, as it were, hands and feet to our thankfulness. The riches we have in Christ for Paul seem to become a launching pad uh, for the spreading of his glory and the multiplication of, of thanksgiving that's awakened uh, everywhere that we sow. These next verses uh, in chapter 9 reveal just how rich we are, not in ourselves, of course, but through the riches of Jesus Christ that are at our disposal. So let's consider the argument here. When we consider Jesus, there was nothing stingy about what he did on our behalf. There was nothing half-hearted about his coming to earth. He gave us all, everything, so that we could become his children. And that's the pattern. His mission for 33-some years was sowing, if you want to think of it that way. And, and what a harvest he's reaping. You and I are part of that harvest. And, and in his plan, I'll become both sowers and reapers in this marvelous work. A harvest is to be had if we'll put our hand to the plow uh, and turn up the soil and re- watch the soil receive the seed and the more we put into it, the greater the results for God's kingdom. Well, how can we pull this up? Well, we can't, but God can, and he will. Just to give you an example of how I saw this recently, and I don't mean to embarrass uh, Titus, but I needed uh, to record six songs for the Christmas choir to learn more quickly. If they could hear it recorded, uh, we can rehearse less, and I'm just trying to work out people's schedules, and Chloe has a very busy life, and a lot of her hours here in technology are already committed and can't be bumped around, and I needed a bunch of hours. And we have the room in back, and, and on a, I got a name of a guy named Titus Nagel on, on a Friday and called him and texted him or whatever, he called me back. And on Saturday, we were back on the back recording for five hours uh, this project. I didn't know Titus until the morning of that. And he's just knocking it out of the park as an engineer. And uh, so then that next Tuesday we were together for three hours and then the following Saturday for five hours and then he's been mixing these together and sending them off to the choir. And that was the provision of the Lord, that Christ is our resource for whatever we need. And it was just a great reminder to me uh, that he can, out of nothing, call Titus to our church. He started attending our church a month ago because he came because he told me he wanted to serve. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you, Titus. Talk about our backs. No matter how we step into faith, Jesus has the resources ready to meet every need. So Christ is our bottomless resource. And and if verse 8 were not enough to convince us to step out in faith, and so Paul gives us verses 10 and 11, which is, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness And you'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So I want you to say these words with me, and I'm going to feed them to you, and you're going to say them now. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food food. will supply and multiply our seed seed. for for sowing and increase the harvest of our righteousness, And we will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Beautiful. So beautiful. So it's not our seed that we plant, it's his. And as we abide in Christ and walk in obedience, there is fruit. There's a harvest. Jesus even mentioned the possibility of 30, 60, and 100-fold what's planted Notice we're enriched as we plow in God's field. Well, What does that look like? The plowing and the sowing is varied, and so are the gifts. We saw behind us this morning a beautiful display uh, of a gift being put to work that actually included a number of people. And God gets the glory, and we are blessed as a church week in and week out. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, he said, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us, the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. A few verses later, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And all the while this is taking place, we are stirring up a crescendo of thanksgiving that reverberates all over the place. A chorus of praise is rising as we live in the power of Christ wherever we go. And and each of these gifts, we're sowing what God has given us. The Christian life is an active life, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We share with the Lord's people who are in need, we practice hospitality. And as we step out in faith, wherever and whatever the Lord calls us to do, not half-heartedly, but all-in, we discover the truth that God is providing the very seed uh, that we need. He's never going to let us down. His resources are always one step ahead of our deadlines. Now, there's another aspect of sowing uh, generously that is very intriguing and encouraging because Paul seems to indicate that it comes back around to bless us. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 13, and 14. As a result of your ministry, they, those who receive, will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers, and will prove to you that that you are obedient to the, the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of your overflowing grace that God was given to you. Let me. I kind of rewrote the words to say it this way. Um, as a result of our ministry, those benefiting will give glory to God for our generosity to them and others as a testimony that we have been faithful to the good news of Christ. And prayers will be lifted up on our behalf as a result of the grace that has flowed out of us, grace that is from Christ himself. Paul here can almost taste the joy uh, that the Jerusalem churches and experienced with that uh, Fund is finally delivered to them. And one commentator said that Paul seems half lost in his anticipation of what will follow when he hands over the contribution of the Gentiles to the believers in Jerusalem. Their utterance of praise and thanksgiving will, he is sure, be followed by a yearning prayer of intercession for the benefactors. So the full circle of God's grace is a beautiful thing to consider. Is this not amazing that Christ, our example, became poor so that we might become rich, and in a similar way, we become poor, the lives of others are enriched, and it comes back to enrich us too. It's the cyclical grace that flows in and out. This is the way of Christ, and when we are self-giving to others in the body of Christ, they thank God, and we experience the joy of serving so Christ is our example, Christ is our ongoing resource, and finally, Paul just can't help himself, Christ is our inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's so excited about the truth that he's been thinking about that his pen just bursts in praise. The gift of God is inexpressible in, in that it isn't simply a one-time gift, but a continuous and even eternal resource of all that we need for all of life. Well, Paul is right. The, the gift is indescribable. And this hasn't happened some, stopped from hymn writers, uh, from like Frederick Lehman, who gave it a try. And I'll just read a couple of lyrics here. God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Grace will, will resound the whole earth around the saints and angels song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies a parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and to everyone a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Indescribable indeed. Well, by way of thinking of us this morning and what God might be saying to us, if you don't know the Lord, That's a good place for you to start thinking about. He left heaven and took on our flesh, becoming poor and even dying, so that you could become rich. How could you put a price on eternal life? You can't. So my word to you is to seek him this morning and discover true joy and peace and forgiveness. And if you want to talk more about that after the service, we'll be down front to talk with you. Spurgeon had a wonderful application of this passage reminding us that all things are ours if we are Christ's, all things. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. He said, there's many a child of the king who is entitled to reign like a prince who continues to live like a miser. They weigh every ounce they eat. They starve themselves spiritually nigh unto death. He says, what are you doing? Why should you not to whom God has given Christ, that is to say, everything, be glad in the Lord and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help me. What about your reputation? It was If he was willing to set aside his honor, why should we not be willing to do the same? Remember Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before me. For some of you, the Spirit's been nudging you this morning. Make no mistake about it. Perhaps He already had been asking you to step in somewhere, and you'd been resisting. To love someone as Christ loved you, to give yourself away, to learn to let go of your possessions. Right now, just as a simple... A suggestion: The food bank needs lots of help, and immediately. And you can volunteer there, even tomorrow or this week. They need help. You can sing. You can talk to me because there's still time for you to sing in the choir if you get. You listen to Titus. Titus uh, beautiful uh, recordings, and get started. You can talk to me about that. Christy O'Hearn stated last week that uh, we have folks who can't get to church, and would be welcome. Uh, If they would welcome a visit from a believer to encourage them, could this be you? Maybe. And there are many other ways you might think about how you can serve. It's scary, but Christ is our resource. And he has promised that we will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion and that generosity is going to result in thanksgiving to God. You don't have to bootstrap yourself into this. Let your heart be filled up with Christ. And you'll find a growing willingness to step out in faith and meet needs all around you. And the thanksgiving will begin to multiply as you do, as you live out your thanks, what I'm calling thanksgiving. Are you ready to, to love on Jesus by loving those he loves in new and exciting and challenging and faith-building ways? Are you ready to put hands and feet to your gratitude, to love in multiple self-giving ways as the Lord gives you opportunity? Christ is our inspiration. He's our example. He's our continual resource. And our Lord Jesus is the gift above all other gifts, the greatest gift this world can ever know. Let me pray. Where would we be, Lord, without your word you promised that your word never goes out without accomplishing what it was intended and what your purpose was. So we lay that before you this morning. We lay the hearts of the listeners. Uh, would you give us the courage and the boldness to step out into opportunities? If we don't even see opportunities now, Lord, give us this week opportunities because you have given us so much You have poured this grace into hearts. And now we want to to allow that grace to flow to others and cause a chorus of thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.